Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You know, one of the wonderful things about the show is that by the end of it, people are, they just want Alfie Byrne to be happy. That's they yeah. want Great. him to, they, they feel so much for him. And there's a, there's a wonderful gift to writers in having created a character and a story that is so, so moving and, and sympathetic to a, to an ordinary man. And you just want everything to be right for him. Mm -hmm. And if you can carry that out of the theater, you know, and remember it, then you're going to want things to be right for other people that you know, which is what we all have to do. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, we are covering the musical A Man of No Importance, which is dedicated to a very special friend of a musical theater podcast. His generosity has saved me many times, including when I've been out of town doing shows and sitting at his dining room table editing episodes. Uh, Mr. Ralph Johnson is one of the true treasures of the San Diego theater world. And this, along with Ragtime, might I add, are two of his most favorite shows he's done, which is why I can think of no better listener request to, to cover today. And furthermore, no greater guests for the episode than the composing team of both of those musicals. They are some of the greatest in the history of our entire art form and I'm kind of overwhelmed that they're here. Everyone, please welcome composer Stephen Flaherty and lyricist Lynn Ahrens. Hi there. Hey. Thanks for having us, Jeff. We're excited yeah. to be here. Thank you so much for being on here. And I, I'm pretty sure I got all of my crying out already, but I'm just giving a disclaimer. <laughs> I'm kind of famous for crying on mic. But I need to hold it together because I need to tell you and I know it's going to be futile, but yeah. I need to tell you how important your work is to me. You two, on top of writing with great intelligence and glorious melodies, are also, I mean, in my opinion, kind of responsible for keeping musical theater tethered to humanity. <laughs> because yeah. when, when well, I know, and I'm like, whoo, that, that's something that's big to hold on your shoulders. <laughs> but, but when everyone, well, not everyone, I'm speaking in gross generalities, but when so many around you were commenting at the art form, you guys were doing the art form. And I really appreciate that. And it spoke to my heart. As a young kid growing up in the middle of Utah, finding an art form that really taught him about feeling and connecting to the world around him. So thank you. Oh, that's, that's a beautiful introduction, I just have to say, <laughs> Jeff. That's really no, so it's sweet. Lovely. Thank you. I mean it. Yeah. I mean it. Thank you. Um, you know, you know I, I, honestly, speaking for myself, whenever I write music and put things out into the world, I always think of the person who's the listener out there in some state that I may never experience, that I may never meet. And I always think of this this other person who's who's listening because I think I see myself in that because I, I grew up grew up listening to show albums and, you know, and studying scores and, you know, I was like a real theater nerd kid. <laughs> and uh and my life was so impacted by 
musical theater recordings, things that I heard growing up. And it was very, very impactful. You know, I, I always think of that. So I guess I, I found I found you today. You're you're, you're well, the guy I've been writing for, I guess. <laughs> amen. Amen. I mean, Willard, Utah, no way you went to that little farm town in the middle of Utah, but that's where <laughs> I was. And and it wasn't just me because I remember introducing my dad to ragtime and him like driving in traffic and I knew he would listen to Wheels of a Dream over and over again because it just like sang to his little Republican heart and <laughs> in like the purest way, right? It was something that brought us together. Um, and then to be talking about this show, which is also just so emotional. So I actually want to dive right in and take everybody through your oeuvre, the shows that you've written, because it really comes at an interesting point in, in your career. I Once again, gross generalities, but you got Lucky Stiff off-Broadway, which is a, a funny, funny, intimate little show, followed by Once on this Island, which is a beautiful little show, but on Broadway. Then you go to my favorite year, big, hilarious show, but also with a lot of heart. Ragtime, big show. Uh, Susical, big show. And then here comes A Man of No Importance, which feels like almost a return to small theater, to intimate storytelling. That's kind of how I perceive it, but is that how it was for you all too? Well, when we, um, after we did Ragtime with Terrence McNally, uh, we knew we wanted to do another show together. You know, we just Mm. didn't know what. And if you notice in the progression of our shows, if anybody is familiar with them, they they sort of never repeat themselves. You know, we've done everything from, you know, turn of the century America to, uh, you know, just just everywhere. Seussical, which is a fantasy, once on this island is set in the Caribbean. Uh, Lucky Stiff is set in in England, uh, you know, on and on. They're, They're all different. The time periods are all different. The worlds are different. And we knew we wanted to do something with Terrence and we just didn't know what. And he wanted to do something small. He said, let's just, ragtime is so big and overwhelming. <laughs> he said, it took too long. Let's do something small and it'll be take a shorter time, which of course it didn't really. Oh my gosh, that's the, that's the irony but, of it all. You know, that's the irony. But, um, you know, he brought us a movie called A Man of No Importance and uh, an Albert Finney movie, sort of unknown, and we loved it. We didn't know what to do with it for about a year. We just fumped around and said, Terrence, it's, it's meat and potatoes. It's just so simple and realistic, and we don't know what to do mm-hmm. and how to make it a musical. And then he invented the character of Oscar Wilde, and he gave Alfie Byrne a sidekick, basically. So um, what that enabled us to do was to ha- to open Alfie's heart to his you know, friend Oscar Wilde, where he he couldn't tell his secret to anybody else. So that that was a, a little breakthrough on the show. And then the writing became easier. And, and um, you know, we we created this show that we all, I think, really, really loved. It's probably the most play-like of any of our shows. Mm. It, it has the most scene work in it because Terrence wrote beautiful scenes. It's a beautifully written libretto and yeah and uh you know and here we are doing it again it's a revival you know and and we're getting another look at it and we're getting to you know make a few little changes here and there nothing dramatic with a new wonderful amazing new cast our star has your last name jim parsons i mean it's got to be a success yeah i wish i could say we were related but uh charmed life hey you never know you never know check check (laughs) ancestry.com there you go there you go so can you um can you talk to us a little bit about this revival yeah uh we're 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 thrilled about it uh you you know as lynn said it was a smaller show it was always designed to be very intimate um we we premiered it believe it or not i did the math the other day we premiered it 20 years ago that's not possible isn't it it i know possible i know we were five we were five (laughs) five we're five 20 years ago at the Nifty Newhouse Theater, which is a small space. It's probably like 299 seats at Lincoln Center. And uh, it was the first of three of these uh, very intimate uh, chamber-sized shows that we did. And we wanted to find the the right home for it. And, uh, And also, obviously, the right director. And John Doyle had directed legendary not only one of yeah and he had directed not only one of um terrence's last 
musicals. He, he had directed The Visit with Cheetah Rivera and uh, the late, great Roger Reese, who was our original Alfie Byrne in the show, uh, directed that on Broadway, but also he directed Terrence's final play, wow. uh, which was called Fire and Air, that uh, was a beautiful production that uh, John Doyle directed at CSC, which is the classic stage company in New York City. And it's it just sort of seemed like kismet, like it was all meant to be. And John was looking for his his final season because he had been the artistic director at CSC and uh, was looking for the perfect piece for his, you know, for his final bow at that particular space. And, and the idea that it's about intimate theater and it's about friendship and it's about one guy whose vision keeps this theater troupe together well that's sort of John that's John Doyle, Doyle. <laughs> <laughs> I know wow. if, and, and and you know obviously this is the first production that we've done uh either new or revival of a piece that we've written with Terrence with, without Terrence being here right. and so I think we both feel that he would he would love the production. He would love that it's in this home that where, where his last play was performed and uh, with, with a director that he really respected and loved. So that it's, it's great, like returning to, to the roots. There's only one dressing room. So yeah, so oh, Jim Parsons, who's a, who's a major star in Mayor Winningham, they're sharing their dressing room with 14 others. It's, it's like wild. don't bring yeah. don't bring your Emmys, kids, because there it's, ain't no room no, for them. There's no, no room, room for your no Emmys. Room, no, no we, it's like going back to the to our roots at Playwrights Horizons because we it did is. our first sure. show there. Yes. Right now, Playwrights Horizons is this very big, glamorous facility that was built, you know, a few years ago. But when we worked there, it was a tiny, teeny little. You know, I won't use the word, but it was pretty bad, <laughs> and you know, it had it was a, a, a green. A, 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 <laughs> but, but, but a former burlesque house, we have to a former burlesque house and, right. and some other horrible thing. Like I want to say when you dissect live animals, whatever that's called, that oh, would they do that there? It, yeah. And um, not at the same time. There, there was not burlesque. You don't know now, that. There's a musical there, though. No. Am you I right? There is. There is. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> but you had a, you know, you had to sign out a yellow pad, you know, because <laughs> you oh couldn't gosh. afford to give them to you Upset. and stuff. And and we're sort of back to that feeling, which is so yeah. delightful. You know, Especially I just wanted for to. This piece. And for please, this yes, piece. Yeah. I just wanted to add one thing because and it's about Terrence, really. Um, and just to, to tell how this particular production came about, I, it just so happened at, right after Terrence passed that we both serve on the Dramatist Guild Council, which is the governing body, and we, we work on committees and that sort of thing. And I was on the publications committee, and um, they wanted to do an issue honoring Terrence. And so they asked me and Gretchen Cryer if we would guest edit it. And we said, of course, we'd love to do that. Hmm. So I was thinking, what could we put in this issue, you know, like about Terrence and interviews about him and his influence and yada, yada, yada. And one of the ideas that came up was we would go to a lot of the people he'd worked with and ask them to write a little couple lines, just a little line and go to like 50 or 100 people, you know, actors, directors, producers, everybody, and and have them say something about him and publish like a double page spread. And I got the assignment of getting in touch with John Doyle, who I didn't really know. And I said, would you consider doing this? And he said, oh, I'd love to. I don't know if I can keep it to a paragraph, but I'll try. <laughs> and he said, and by the way, do you have anything that you might think I would be right for? And I, Terrence was just sitting on my shoulder and I said, a man of no importance. It just came out of my mouth. And he said, send me, send me the materials. And I said, of course. And I sent them that day. And a month later, when he had finally gotten to reading and listening, he wrote back this beautiful, beautiful email about his his Irish heritage and his Scottish heritage and how, it, you know, he felt it would be an honor to Terrence and all that. So I feel like the long story short is I feel like Terrence put us all together and is sitting up in the last row, you know, of the theater watching watching the proceedings. I think he's with us every day. So, oh, my gosh, that's gorgeous. That's yeah. so fantastic. Yeah, yeah he's, he, he is totally with us. You know, he just he's everywhere in that theater. And I keep saying, go to Bloomingdale's for God's sake. Stop I know. <laughs> <laughs> like you used Take to do. Take a break. 
<laughs> That's hilarious. He he would hang out at Bloomingdale's quite a bit. I'd go wherever you know. We oh, were yeah. always in tech, oh. and Terrence would be going down the street with shopping bags. You know, he was hilarious. <laughs> After I had pulled an all nighter to like write the music for yeah. the library, right? You know, he he was at he was at the department <laughs> store. He was hilarious. Anyway. That's fantastic. Oh, what a great image. Well, there's there's so much to talk about. One thing I want to go back, though, when you were talking about all of your none of your pieces really repeating themselves, it's very Rodgers and Hammerstein. Was that did you find inspiration in that or was it just kind of following your own artistic bliss? I think it's following our own artistic bliss. I don't think we, that's great. I ever really thought about that. It just whatever we, we said, oh, we've just done a, a farce. What can sure. we do? And Stephen wanted to do something emotional. And I found this little book that became Once on this Island. And mm. after Once on this Island, which was all emotion and all raw emotion, we wanted to do something, you know, a little more, I don't know what you would call it, sort of pizzazzy and, and you know, big bandish. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wanted York. to do like a real Broadway musical comedy. Like a comedy. Like, mm. Like, like and we did my favorite that I year. Grew up with. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did Musical my favorite comedy. year. It, and my favorite year also was about a young person living in Brooklyn who wanted to be a writer in Manhattan. And when I first saw the movie, I was a young writer living in Brooklyn who wanted to be a writer in Manhattan. And I, and I, I just, I just thought this could be so fun to 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 write this. And and also, it's about writers, you know. And I thought. This could be great fun, and and so Lynn and I re, uh, united with uh, Joseph Darty, who's a wonderful television writer and also writer of plays. But he knew the world of television. We we had a great time, and that was also our first show at Lincoln Center Theater. We we did it True. in the large space upstairs, and uh, at the time we were the first original American m musical to to premiere wow, there. At, at, wow, at Lincoln Center. Yeah, we were the first yeah, musical. Center. Right after they had renovated the theater, they never had a real pit there. And they took the whole guts of the theater out and they dug down three stories and they built this amazing orchestra pit. So we were the first show in there to what utilize a, the orchestra pit, which was exciting. You know, it was it was um, a very cool, a very cool time. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so that's so cut to me in high school, like trapping people in my car and forcing them to listen to the duck song because I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. I still like the duck song. <laughs> it's <laughs> funny. Right? It is it's funny. got jokes. <laughs> I, I don't know. have to tell you. It's hilarious. <laughs> and then talking about inspiration, uh, this movie, A Man of No Importance, that the musical is based on, I always assumed was like one of those Judy Dench movies that maybe not very many people saw, but everyone agreed was worthy of like two or three Oscar nominations. Mm -hmm. And then I, for this episode, I went back to look at it and really like nobody saw it. Like no, nobody saw it. The musical is, I think, much more well-known than the film. Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely. just one of those unknown little movies that Terrence had seen. I mean, thank God he saw it, you yeah, know? Yeah, seriously. Um, because it's, it's, it's not a gem of a story. It really. is. And Albert Finney is so wonderful. I mean, you know, he's, he's, great. he's Albert Finney. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I have to say Jim Parsons actually on our first work session said to me, he, he wasn't aware of this show and he wasn't aware of that film or this title or any part of it. And, mm -hmm. uh, he was he was excited to be you know working in musical theater and you know was excited to be working with us and with John Doyle, and uh, he said he went back and uh, screened the the film A Man of No Importance which he had never seen and he said how did you come up with this musical from that yeah which is <laughs> he, the question yeah because he he felt that he he felt that the choices that we made the, uh, that were different from the film many of which came from Terrence he saw he thought they were all to the better and and it really mm. strengthened the story and uh you know instead of just being a, a delightful fun romp it, it was truly about something and it was about the value value of friendship and you know and and creation of theater but also creating something with a group of friends and i know that that was super important for terrence uh and uh so that was awfully nice for for jim to say that on our first day wow that's a great compliment yeah. And I think also the goal of adaptation, question mark, <laughs> right, is that you're bringing something to this something narrative. New. You don't yeah. want to just right. slap it from, you know, a, a film to the stage. I mean, even even with Anastasia, which was mm. 
you know, on Broadway and now is on tour and sort of everywhere in the world, yeah. it seems. Um, we worked with Terrence on that, of course. And, you know, we it, it was interesting. Um, a producer brought the three of us together for Ragtime. Then um, we decided to work together on A Man of No Importance, and he brought that project to us. It was his idea. And then when Anastasia came up, and we had already done the movie years before, and they came to us to do the score, we brought Terrence in on that because oh, we thought, so sweet. who better, you know, to write something that's historical and a musical and, you know, all of that stuff. So, you know, we've had this this these three incredible experiences with him um, and three gorgeous shows I, I you know i wish he were here now um maybe there's a way to work uh oh uh, no long distance terrence can, what do you think i don't know can, I, I can have, you hop I on a, a zoom terrence can you hear me <laughs> I, I have a feeling he he's he knows what we're up to and it's it's interesting because earlier lynn had said i know he's sitting in the back row and at, at csc the back row is the fifth row which is, <laughs> it's like which a is sort little, of amazing yeah. and, and also i just have to put this out there you know because you know as a composer it's always like how many musicians can we have and you know the mm. the world of theater pits is frankly it's shrinking and it, at csc we have three amazing violinists and they're also actors in the show uh, playing parts and that's more that we than we had on broadway in anastasia it sounds your string section for this yeah. show is Are, bigger than anastasia it's, it, it's bigger than anastasia and it's in a tiny space and there's something about when you hear that live acoustic sound of what the violin can do and the soulfulness that it brings it's it's just so moving to me and to, to i think to i think it's going to be really exciting for everybody to hear that yeah that's so congratulations that's really thanks cool. we're thanks. excited Hey, listeners, have you tried Factor yet? Remember Factor Meals? They were supposed to send me a box to try out, but they don't ship to Hawaii, so now I'm stuck with my Taco Bell. And now it's up to you. It's up to you to try it and let me know how it is, because it's May. And we can't eat like it's the holidays anymore. We're trying to get our summer bodies together. And Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting food. You can choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, whatever you want, it's here. Head to factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50, that's musicaltheater with an E-R, and use code musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code musicaltheater50 at factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's go through the show because, my gosh, what a, what a beautiful story, and I want to get your takes on it. We got to start, though, with the opening number, and I'm sure you've been asked this a gajillion times, and you may be sick of talking about it, but you guys write the best <laughs> opening musical numbers in musical theater. And, um, They're so... just the longest. <laughs> this one is quite long, long, actually, yes. This one's really long. <laughs> Somebody added up the number of measures of music, and it's 60% of the score. Is no, the it's not 60 the no, it's, it's 20, what? 20%. I mean, 20% Bruce, Bruce said 60%. No, he it's, said it's twenty percent of the entire evening. Is is yes. in this is in this is, opening is number? Is the opening number? Yeah. But I mean, what a great opening it's, number! It's, it's a great it just one. Feels like sixty percent. <laughs> <laughs> what I love what what I love about it about the opening number for my favorite for my favorite listening to what I love about um, but what I love about the opening number of a man of no importance is that it starts. You go on a journey with a man who's going to work on a bus. And it keeps going, and then you think it's going to end, but no, 
somebody comes onto the bus, there's a new energy. Then you think it's going to end, but no, it's lunch break. Then you think it's going to end, but no, it's the afternoon and the bus is going back the other way. Then you think it's going to end, but it's the man going home. And it just keeps unfolding and unfolding. And I don't know how it keeps going in such an interesting way. Every time I hear it, I love it more. I do. I'm so weirdly proud of it because it it it's never boring. It keeps moving. And it encapsulates the, a day in the life of a man of no importance and makes it somehow really important. And I love that about it. Yeah, it's a it's a really difficult line to toe from my point of view because yeah. it can't be too splashy because right. it's this, it's you know, this no, it's, it's normal dude. Yeah, that's right. exactly a normal, right. Exactly right. ordinary man in, on an ordinary day. There's nothing show busy about anything, but yet there's this simmering life that's underneath the whole thing. And I just I just really am proud of it. I have to say, I love it. We're, of course, talking yeah. about Alfie Byrne, who's the lead character, and he is a right. bus driver. He's a conductor. Con- oh, excuse me. He's Thank the you. conductor. He's the and conductor. then this is and in Dublin. They have a, a driver and a conductor. They, yeah. They have and it's impor- an important differentiation. Very yeah. important difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, I guess, would be responsible for the passengers coming on, making sure they have tickets, so on right. and so forth, right? He gives the tickets, right. yep. And... I mentioned the bus because in addition to the modesty, and I love that word, there's also momentum because you're on a bus and it's right. going somewhere and going and somewhere. you feel that. Right. And, and I love that too. But we meet the people in his life who are coming onto the bus and, and all of this is being told in a very theatrical way. Like they are the players putting on the show of his life because when we meet Alfie, he's in a very dark place. He's in a very sad and lonely, isolating place. His great passion is to give his little community art and theater, and he's been shut down. And Mm -hmm. so all of these characters from his life come on stage and say, all right, well, we're going to tell the story of your life. Right. Uh, Instead of being the director, you're going to be the leading leading man. Yeah, the leading man. That's right. In addition to these bus passengers, we have the bus driver who's named Robbie. And how would you describe Robbie? Robbie is a, I think, is another ordinary guy, but a very different kind of an ordinary guy. He goes to the pub, he plays darts, he gets drunk with his mates. um, And he is also at heart a poet, but he just, Mm -hmm. um, he wouldn't say so, but he Mm. is. He sees the beauty in the the pigeons wheeling in the sky and the lamps as they go on at night in the park and um, the the beauty of a working man's pub. And he can find the poetry in all that. Of course, that's partly the the Irish character too, is <laughs> there's, you know, there's that, that deep poetry, soul. deep soul and, and a love of language, a love of words and poetry and, and all that. Yeah. So that's who he is. He's, he's a, a man of the people, not a man of the, the intellect. By any means. And yet, you know, he has a poetic soul. I connect to that from in my little hometown. I remember I was back there, um, was it last year? And I was driving along and I saw this this man going through the fields on a tractor. And it's like mm-hmm. seven, six, seven in the morning. And he's and like the sun's coming up and he's on his tractor driving all by himself. And I mean, I was kind of a weirdo in my hometown, but I was surrounded by so many nice people that I didn't didn't know how weird I was. But at the, at the mm-hmm. same time, when those are the blue collar guys surrounding me, people who are probably practicing meditation on their tractor at 630 in the morning and just have no idea. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like no wonder there was space for me in that community. Yes. You know, and I feel like Robbie's that kind of guy. He's making space for artists and making space for sensitive souls, but he probably doesn't even realize that he's the he's able to do it. Yes, I yeah. think that's right. I think that's absolutely right. Now, one day on the bus, just an ordinary day, Alfie's doing his readings to the passengers on the bus who are also the the players in his little community theater. Uh, whenever they are going on their trips, he'll he'll read to them and also to the bus driver. So it's a real opportunity for them all to connect. During one of those trips, they have a new passenger that comes on, and her name is Adele Rice. Yeah. And when Alfie sees her, 
he realizes that she is somebody special to this community and it's somebody that he's never had before in one of his shows, which is essentially like a young ingenue. And he gets the idea that he is going to produce Oscar Wilde's play. I always say Salome, but is it Salome? Anyway, not sure. And that she is going to play Salome. Now, this is a biblical story. She traditionally dances for King Herod and does the dance of the seven veils. And then King Herod falls madly in love with her and says, "Uh, what do you want? I'll give you anything. And she says, I want the head of John the Baptist. And so he serves her the head of John the Baptist on the silver platter. That's essentially the play. And you can imagine that a a play with dirty dancing (laughs) and uh, the beheading of one of the most important people in the ministry of Jesus Christ is not going to probably play well in this church. But he, Alfie, believes that this is art. This is art and it's going to benefit the community. And because this young girl has shown up that she is going to make it possible. She needs some convincing, but she finally agrees because she's never looked at herself this way. She's never thought of herself as being this kind of exotic princess. And Alfie convinces her that she can do it. We've also got Alfie's sister. Uh, Mm -hmm. Is it Lily? Lily. 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 Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, There's so many great characters and also such funny characters too. Lily being played in this production by Mary Winningham, which is just like beyond beyond. She's she's, she's, she's amazing. Super wonderful. Yes. There's nothing. Amazing there's a not person. a not a false bone in her body. You know, mm, one no. of those actors who just is embodies the role without any effort or artifice. It's just mm. she just becomes Lily. That's, you know, that's incredible. And she, Lily has definitely put her life on hold for her brother Alfie. She's and and is this like an is this an Irish tradition? Is this a thing it, where it, it, it is it's not only an Irish tradition but it's uh well even in my own family, you know, I have a a great aunt and her role in the family was that uh she would take care of her mother and she would take care of you know the family and she never married because that was sort of her position what she was expected to do. You mm. know, so this is actually a, a like a very Irish thing, and obviously I'm like Irish Catholic, but from Pittsburgh. But you know, those things, <laughs> hey, you know, they have their beginnings. It's I know, but maybe the the most fun number for me to write was the number that takes place at the top of Act Two, which was about confession. You know, which is about like like here are my sins, here's what I did, here's why why I'm a horrible person, and yet there within that context, which is so intense. I think that there's always humor, you know, because you're wondering, is that guy sleeping on the other side of that, you know, that little uh, partition? And, um, you know, there are so many different emotions that anybody who's ever gone through that goes through. And, you know, just wanted to make sure I got that got that one right. And Lynn says, no, tell me about this. And then she, of course, thought all of us Catholics were so odd. We're crazy. I know. I know. Well, that was, I mean, we're 100% jumping back to, but we got to do it because so the, this, the scene in which uh, Alfie's in confession, literally I have written down right here. Okay. Who went through this? Like, which of you had actually gone through this? Because it's too oh, perfect. Stephen Flaherty. It's too perfect. I went through it weekly. I, I, I do have to say our original director, we got to do a shout out to him, Joe Mantello. Joe Mantello. So this, this was his first musical that he had ever directed. This is like pre-Wicked. You know, he had, like, Wicked didn't exist. Yeah. And he had directed an opera of Terrence's and Terrence brought him onto the show and he was wonderful. And, you know, he's Italian Catholic, which is like a different strain. <laughs> but but <laughs> it took us three completely different drafts, completely different takes uh, to get that number right. And, and part of it was that he can't he can't say, you know, what's on his mind, which is which is Robbie. And the fact that Robbie then like joins him in the confessional mm. and talks about freedom the minute that Robbie Faye got in that confessional with him, all of a sudden this the song became a completely different kind of song, and you know it was it was. He's super not liter- literally in there. I mean, right, right. To be clear, it's, to be he's clear. in his. Well, he's in his mind. He's in yeah. his mind. Yeah. yeah. 
so many of these characters are speaking for Alfie at times. Um, and mm-hmm. and that's an instance in which uh, Robbie is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was not raised Catholic, but my own form of confession involved a lot of uh, rehearsal. Like I, mm-hmm. I before I met with like my church leader to talk about uh, my sexuality, like I had rehearsed it in the mirror, just like Alfie. <laughs> like and, Alfie um, Burr. <laughs> yeah, and it yeah. was a uh, to quote your show. It, it turned out to be dog shite. Like it was a terrible experience. But I, I tried. I definitely tried, and that's what I love so much about your confession number is like how hard he's trying he's to gonna try to live right. those principles. I think yes. with anything, it's just about the effort, the fact that mm. you tried. Mm-hmm. And, and and Lynn wrote this absolutely stunning lyric about, um, you, you, you should say, from, from Streets of Dublin moving back. And it's about just having tried to, to get through a day. That that's, that's like a oh, big deal. Yeah, that Streets of Dublin is a song in, in Act One that Robbie sings, actually. And it... it gives insight into his character as a, as a sort of a poet without a poet who doesn't know it, you know? <laughs> um, but there's, Stephen's talking about the end of that song. Um, there are glasses to raise in the praise of surviving the day, mm. you know? And I think that, you know, that's just another form of, of confession mm-hmm. in a way, you yeah. know, it's just uh, getting out whatever it is, whether you have to get drunk to do it or get into a confessional, you Ooh. can't keep it all inside forever keep it inside mm-hmm. i yeah. love Brene brown does so much great work on shame and uh what shame needs in order to exist and it's always silence and um mm. and isolation right. as long as you are by yourself and you don't say it to anybody the shame can't be released and this That's whole right. musical is such a beautiful embodiment of releasing that shame because it's it's done artistically and and in the show itself they are doing it by creating theater about his story. Right. That's and right. It's so cool. It's so great. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. It's also really funny. So the one, a couple of these great songs I hear at the beginning are Lily's The Burden of Life, in which she talks about the great burden that is the upon her shoulders. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. There's, also, there's also a great song that she sings with her boyfriend, Mr. Carney, about books, about how books are mm-hmm. so, uh, are, are polluting they're, they're Alfie's deadly. mind. They're deadly. Right? They're very bad, yes. <laughs> That's why the poor sod cooks, because he likes <laughs> yeah. books. Because he likes books. I, I like that lyric a lot. <laughs> So much of this great lyric writing also is a lot of the humor is found in the dialect of it as well. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. you yeah. was that intentional? Did you know that like, oh, this is going to be even funnier because of the accent? Um, probably. I mean, like I, art you know, and books art. and kooks. And I mean, yeah. it's just so I mean, it's, it's filled with funny. beautiful it's just things. The accent is funny. But I think I, I wasn't I don't think I was thinking of the accent when I wrote it. But I, I was thinking of the characters for sure. Oh, for sure. And there's there's so dry and so withheld and so you know there's this emotion bubbling up inside them john doyle has done a wonderful thing in this production where they dance a little bit which when i first saw it at my heart stopped because it it was so just for a second they they break into a little bit of romance and then it's over and Mm. you know and you're they're back to that you know hard hard Mm -hmm. or dry you know, relationship. And, and um, yeah, I mean, the accent is delicious. I think the Irish accent is my favorite accent of any accents ever. It's just beautiful. I could listen to it all day. I feel um, like I would use the F-bomb more if it was if it was fake. Like, I feel like yeah, I would yeah, yeah. I would use that a lot more. <laughs> Absolutely. And why not? <laughs> they're going to they're gonna try to bleep you and say, what is it? No, he didn't say the. No, F-word. I didn't he say it. Y'all. Else. He said it's something else. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a great, it's, great language. And I guess I think I do as a lyricist, you know, we always channel bits and pieces of phrases into into things you know like in Dessa Rose I found the phrase I might could do this and it's a Mm. very southern idiom um that I used in that show and in this show there are moments I think like that where like the f word yeah yeah gosh Lynn it's like you know what you're doing or something (laughs) you know I don't know I just just channeling I've been around I've been around the world babe no I, I you know we just channel our our characters and out comes something hopefully and, and, there, and there's something so beautiful about about that that lilting 
Irish quality, you know, that's that permeates the show. That that obviously it it really influenced, you know, the sh literally the shapes of the melody, which I think have this very graceful rise and fall that I tried to. Uh, that try to try to match and imitate you know j just what the sound of the language itself sounds sounds like to me so it's 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 a very unique sound and, and i i don't think i think this score really has its own identity which is you know everything you wish and hope for when you set out to write a new musical hmm. i love that this culture that we're talking about the irish culture and traditions of their love of words and their deep uh, sold poetry and then also kind of this uh, is it tight or or um, just very practical not too romantic not is too also, romantic yeah. is also the culture that gave birth to Oscar Wilde you know what I mean no I know well, it's, yeah yeah John Doyle brings a lot he's he's Irish by birth and by you know sort of genetically Irish but he was he grew up in Scotland but he said it's sort of the same that there is, you know, when somebody, nobody will come up and hug you and kiss you when you walk in. Mm, They'll no. go, hello. He was never told, I love you, although he knew he was loved. You know, it's that kind of, that kind of thing. And he said when he first brought his then partner, now husband, to meet his family, one of his uncles walked over to his partner and said, welcome to you. And then he turned and walked away. And John said, that was huge. Wow. So, you know, there's all Take of it that. as a victory. Take it as a victory, but it's it's all of that, you know, in, inner stuff that is not allowed out, which actually is great for a musical because you then they can sing. They can sing <laughs> about it. They can sing yeah. about it and they're allowed to right. let it out. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, now, Oscar Wilde, of course, one of the great poets <laughs> and playwrights. I recently, mm -hmm. this is really, I, I just have to tell you this real fast. Uh, recently there was a, a local production of The Importance of Being Earnest mm -hmm. that was done oh. at like a community theater. And um, I mean, just really uh, very similar to the St. Imelda Players for sure. <laughs> and and uh, there was this woman from the community who uh, I, I had heard said that she walked out of the show, not because of the direction or the actors, they were great, but the script. Gosh, well, I mean, <laughs> like everyone's a critic, right? But like, yeah. I, I feel like in many instances, she belongs in in the world of this of this town that uh, somehow gave birth to the, a, a brilliant genius, artistic mind like Oscar Wilde, but isn't really able to fully embrace what it, he has to say about his own culture. Right. Um, but Alfie does. Alfie's the one who gets it. He totally gets it. You know, I went yeah. to Oscar Wilde's grave. In mm. Père Lachaise oh, Cemetery, it's Père Lachaise, absolutely wow. beautiful cemetery. If, if you're ever in Paris, go to this place. It's like walking into a city of little wow. cobblestone streets with famous, every famous person you can imagine buried there, from Maria Callas to Colette to this one and that one. And Oscar Wilde's grave is there. Edith Piaf, yeah. and oh I mean, gosh. you can't believe it. I, I mean, there, each one is is worth stopping at and visiting them. And Oscars is covered with stickies, and people come and leave him notes, oh. and thank yous, well, and cards, uh, and flowers, also and ribbons. Lips, and, those lipstick kisses all over the stone. There are like a yeah. lot of big old red, full mouth kisses all over his grave, yeah. and. I think he would Oscar. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And who so, I mean, who knows even who had the lipstick on, right? And that's that, well, the exactly. Oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go from there. <laughs> um, one of the other reasons that Alfie really connects to him is because Alfie is closeted and uh, is lonely because he doesn't have somebody and doesn't feel like he can voice his feelings. But as he gets closer and closer to Robbie, his bus driver, he, these feelings are becoming harder and harder to ignore. I really love the juxtaposition of Robbie, who is living life and finds the poetry in, in the everyday, and Alfie, who can't really live life authentically and who has thrown himself into theater and art mm -hmm. and creating. Right. right. And boy, that's confronting to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's, 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 it's very fertile and rich. Uh, stuff to, to 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 write about, you know, and obviously, 
Alfie, you know, just to, to love another man, you, you, the act of that, you know, you could be thrown in into the clink, you know, back in 1964, which is when this tale is set. And um, just to deal with the emotional life versus, you know, the, that particular society at that particular time, it's... Um, it's 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 wonderful and, and and also honestly to to bring that to life you need an exceptional actor at the helm and at the center of your company and we were lucky to have found Roger Reese originally who was extraordinary in, in the role and uh and now Jim Parsons and uh they're they're both very different but they both have this quality of of a, a real humanity and 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 people just feel empathy for for this person and you want you want him to break through you know you're rooting mm. for him and just seeing you know the struggle and and then him finally acting you know on what he knows he must do to find a way to go forward one of the next big moments happens when Robbie invites Alfie out to go drink with him and his mates and they go to this pub and Alfie is like, you know, ordering his little cocktail. And they're like, no, drink like a man. And, and he's like, okay. And I guess there's this tradition where a new person to the pub needs to like sing a song. So he sings this beautiful Irish song called Love's Never Lost. And Robbie's friends are like, who's, who's this guy? He's uh, kind of lighting the loafers. And um, Robbie sticks up for him because he's like, no, he's my friend. Everything's cool. Everything's fine. While Alfie is at that pub, he runs into this guy who is kind of cruising him. Like you get the feeling that he's trying to hook up with him and, and which is very scary to Alfie who has never acted on his homosexuality and probably would never open up his heart even to that because of his religion. But it kind of has planted the seed that he, he yearns for connection Personal question for you too. Do you ever uh -huh. feel like you have had that you've like lived more in your work than you have in your life? Have you ever had moments where you've had to sit yourself down and talk about that? I feel like I have, and I haven't even done nearly as much as you, Elle. <laughs> I, I don't know that I have had that. That's I, amazing. I, I don't know. I mean, my, my work is my life in a way, and mm -hmm. I have a wonderful husband who is very involved who in did. my work, and we also have a very wonderful life where show business doesn't necessarily enter into it you know mm. um although it does yes it does whether we like it or not but um yeah i've never felt that no i can't say that i have that's oh, great that's steven yeah, yeah well I'm, I'm i'm really on the other side of that coin you know it was i i think i came to well i came to new york city whenever i was uh 21 right right out of school and I think at that point I had a lot of technique and I, I knew how to write, but I had very little life experience. You know, I was really green. I was just this green kid, you know, from Pittsburgh, you know, who wrote show tunes and that's who I was. And it took quite a while for who I was and what I did to come together, you know, because before then I was just writing stuff. But it wasn't really about myself. It wasn't about what I was feeling. And uh, mm. and Lynn knows this, but when we were writing Once on this Island, which was at the height of the AIDS crisis in New York City, people were just dying left, right, and center. And it was a it was a very very dark time. And there, uh, you know, and we started the project, and I thought, oh, Tamoon has to keep the god of death, you know, at bay. Oh, how am I going to write that? That's, uh, you know, and I, and then guess what? You know, life gives you for better and worse, you know, what you need to be able to write that scene. And, you know, I was caring for a friend and that literally became my own life. Like, how can I keep that demon of death at bay and, and can love and positive energy help you get through what seems like an impossible situation, you know? And, you know, when you go through that while you're writing something, you don't have the you don't have the luxury of separating things, you know, and I and it just cracked me open and it cracked my heart open and it cracked my writing open. And I realized that that for the first time, I felt like I was really 
blending all these aspects you know uh, not to i'm not unlike alfie Byrne. you know when this area is in a box and this area is in a box and all of a sudden at some point you have to find a way to combine all that and you have to find a way to be a person who happens to write you know and and bring what you're feeling and what your life is into your work and that that was a tricky time for me but the mo maybe the most important time that i've experienced and then, and, and and since then, you know, it's like, you, you know, we've had, Lynn and I, by the way, are both married to British men. So I don't know what that's about. I think we um, like an accent. Like a nice <laughs> accent. Yeah. So that's great. So we've been, to, to, we've been, Lynn and I have been writing almost 40 years and we've been, I don't know, I can't say for Lynn, but Tre Trevor and I got together during the original production of uh once on this island so that's when i that's when i met him so that's like you know 30 some years ago yeah wow. and, and we're married now which is wonderful oh my gosh thank you guys for sharing thank you hey listeners have you tried factor yet remember factor meals they were supposed to send me a box to try out but they don't ship to hawaii so now i'm stuck with my taco bell and now it's up to you it's up to you to try it and let me know how it is because it's May and we can't eat like it's the holidays anymore. We're trying to get our summer bodies together and Factors Fresh Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting food. You can choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, whatever you want, it's here. Head to factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50, that's musical theater with an E-R, and use code musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code musicaltheater50 at factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. There is so much love for like local community theater in this show. Did you grow up participating in community theater? Cause I, and, and how much fun was it to create these backstories and bios of these different local actors? You know, I did not. Believe it or not, I was busy flag twirling. And, flag uh, twirling? Get it, Lynn? <laughs> uh, yes, I have the pictures to prove it. Um, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't participate. There wasn't really an active theater department in my high school. Um, and it was all about sports. It was a big Neptune high school on the Jersey Shore. It was all about oh, sports, wow. basketball, and football. And then when I got to college, I was at Syracuse University, but I was a journalism and an English major, not a drama major, although they think I was a drama major now. They always they're 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 uh, always calling me up to do stuff and and I say, you know, I didn't graduate with that degree, but I'm happy to come do whatever you want me right. to do. But I didn't I didn't study drama. So I really was a late starter in that regard, but I was always writing, always writing lyrics, particularly. And you know, I made my way through through advertising and jingles. I wrote a lot of pretty well-known jingles and uh, I did children's television. I, I, I still write for a show called Schoolhouse Rock, which is quite fan. Yeah, I know. Interplanet uh, Janet, there, legendary. That would be me. That would be me. Legendary. Yep. And, you know, I did all that and, and somehow made my way to this musical theater writing workshop where Stephen and I met. So, you know, the answer is no, I wasn't involved in theater per se, but I was, I guess I was always a little bit of a drama queen and I was yeah. always a lyricist and I've, I've ended up, I remember the first song that I wrote in the workshop, it wasn't with Steven, it was with another composer, a very good composer uh, named Randy Klein, who's still a pal. And um, we wrote this song, it was the first theater song I'd ever written. And I thought, oh, this is what I should have been doing all these years. Wow. You know, this is it. And I, I was in my 30s at that point. I hadn't, you know, really ever considered that as a form of writing before. So, you know, things come to you. Stephen was ready to roll at age 14. You know, he was going to write musicals. And I didn't come to it till much, much later. But I wrote songs. I wrote and I sang and I wrote lyrics and, you know, was sort of wending my way toward it, I guess. Wow. Yeah. How about you, Stephen? Well, I, I was very involved in high school musicals, and I went to an all-boys Catholic high school in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where surprisingly we did Fiddler on the Roof, which is about 
Tevia and his three daughters. And, and a oh. lot of daughters. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we did not do it in drag. We had to import the girls from the, the girls' high school. Oh, how and, funny. Uh, but doing, but, and there was no, absolutely no budget for these productions. So it's like, you know, you have to create the entire Anna Tevka out of lumber that's discarded and cardboard. And, and, the, and then the following year we did Oliver. And it's like, all right, build London, you know. And I thought it was wonderful that, that we didn't have that budget because you had to be so creative with nothing. And I actually would paint the sets and uh, how I, I didn't build the sets. I didn't, I wasn't good with a hammer, but I could really paint well. <laughs> so, I, and I loved doing that with absolutely nothing. And I, I played all of the musicals and music directed them. And early on, um, two friends of mine who were in the show, they thought that they had gotten not very good roles in the musical, which was, uh, a musical version of Some Like It Hot called Sugar. And the fact Sugar, that Broadway is about to see another one of those, here we go. So anyhow, the first one, uh, they they didn't like their roles and they said, we're gonna write our own musical. And so they wrote book and lyrics for a show called Pitts that was about Pittsburgh. And every scene was a different kind of a number and it took place in a different neighborhood of our town. And they said, do you wanna write the music for this? And I had never written music before. and And I thought, you know, sure, why not? And I found out that oddly, I had a gift for it. And I could, I, and I just, I loved it more than anything I had ever experienced in my life. And the show was not good. Yeah, I have to put that there. It was like, you do not want to hear it, but it was funny and it was personal and it was hanging out with my friends and trying to create something from nothing, you know, and uh, using discarded, horrible costumes that were backstage. And it was so creative and so fun. And my English teacher, who was also our drama instructor, said to me, he said, you know, that was really good. And I think you have a gift for this. You should keep it up. And I thought, oh, okay. And I just, that was my start of being a composer. So I, I wouldn't say community theater as much as high school theater. And then we had like what, what they would call like nightclub reviews. So I was working in nightclubs when I was 14 and 15 and my parents god bless them allowed that wow. you know which is which is crazy and and, and like right at the same time was rob marshall you know who's since directed the movie of chicago he would sure. do these shows for the same crazy director and his younger sister <laughs> kathleen and uh brent barrett did a lot of them and and so oh we, were just, we were just kids in pittsburgh trying to be in show business and like, you know, you'd go, you know, where you could find it and live in the it, dream it, in it the nightclub. It, it, it was great. I can you imagine I know being like a 15 year old kid playing in a nightclub and no, <laughs> it was super, it was super fun. It was, it was wonderful because, because there was no structure and there was no funding. And it was like, you know, make it out of nothing, you know, if you oh. really want this that bad. So I, I love the idea that if you had seen Fiddler, you go the next year to Oliver and you're like, oh, London looks quite a bit like Anatevka. Um, <laughs> Act two begins and boy, a lot of a lot of confessions. <laughs> we talked about confessions before come out, uh, not just from Alfie, though. We see Mr. Carney, who's Lily's boyfriend. And by the way, who has been an actor in the troupe before he goes to the church committee and basically tattles on Alfie and says, they're doing this dirty play, you need to shut it down. So he confesses that. Adele, who is playing Salome, confesses to Alfie that not only is she in love with somebody in London, but that she is pregnant with his baby despite them not being married. And honestly, that tests Alfie's judgment because that is against the rules, you know, according to what he believes. Even more testing those morals and beliefs is Robbie himself, his, his secret crush, who is having an affair with one of the married women in the town. And that's really kind of the moment, all of these things tumbling upon each other, that he decides that he is going to live his truth. And he gets ready in, in kind of a fashionable, foppish, gay way. He's, he parts his hair down the middle. He puts on just a little bit of rouge. He, puts, uh, he gets a green carnation like Oscar Wilde would. And he goes to the pub and goes to this guy who's been cruising him and says, hey, let's have a cuddle. 
right? And the guy's like, all right, let's go out into the the back alley. When they do, um, the guy starts beating him up, punches him in the face. And all of the guy's buddies, well, it, it, it gets revealed that this is something that the guy does. Is they look for a quote unquote poofter and beat him up, knowing that they will not get in trouble because if Alfie were to, you know, file a complaint, he would be confessing his own homosexuality. And the police know this, the but so so everybody it, it's basically an outing of Alfie very publicly and shamefully. Um, Lily, the sister, and her boyfriend, Mr. Carney, are walking by when this is happening and they see him. The police basically say, did you know your brother's gay? And that's devastating to her because he's the most important person in her life. And she didn't know this. There's this really gorgeous, sad song where she's angry about not knowing. And Alfie Alfie interprets that as you don't love me and you don't accept me. And he storms out before she has the chance to say, you have to know I would have loved you just the same. Now, when the whole community finds out about Alfie's sexuality, he is left alone. What he thinks are is the worst possible scenario occurs. He's left alone, and he sings this song, Welcome to the World, which is like, the, <laughs> in, in many ways, I've faced my greatest fear, and where do we go from here? And that kind of courage is met with, one by one, these individuals coming back to him and not giving up on him and and in their own way and some of them can barely look at him in the face but they all accept him for who he is and and no they won't be doing sal- uh, salome but they are on the bus reading poetry and connecting together as a community and that is that is the truth that still exists even with all of these other truths that have come to seemingly attack it um, their love and their connection is safe. And that's how the show ends. It's, it's really beautiful. What do, you, what do you think we walk away with after we leave the theater from seeing A Man of No Importance? Ooh. What do you yeah. walk away with, maybe? You know, there's a beautiful line that Terrence wrote, and it, I think it's my favorite line in the show. And it's one line, I'm blessed in my friends. And mm. it just says it all for me. Um, I, I feel that way. I'm blessed in my friends, my collaborators, my actors, mm-hmm. my shows, my life. Um, but, but most of all, the circle of people that you get to work with in the theater, oftentimes over and over again. Um, and I hope that people walk out feeling lucky and feeling loved and feeling as if, you know, they they have people to confide in and people who will forgive them and people who will embrace them no matter what. And I think that's what the show is about, that that community of friends. And I hope everybody walks out, you know, and maybe goes and tells somebody that they love them or that, you know, they, they forgive them or whatever it is that, um, you know, they feel is is they're holding in or that sense of shame that you spoke about so beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, I think the show is all about all of that. And that's what I would say. Yeah, that's what I hope. For, for, for me, I would say it's about community. And it's and it's what Lynn said. It's about friendship and support. And the idea that we need we need one another to create something and to, to, to live together. You know, and I, and I would like to for people to feel I'm a little less alone having experienced this right this show you know that's that's what i i would love to give as my little takeaway bag to give to audience members you know you you're connected and and also that there can be beauty in in creating like a perfect fried egg there is beauty in everything that seems simple and that seems maybe insignificant but it's everywhere and it's our duty to just open our eyes and see it and experience it that's beautiful and to anybody out there who may be listening who feels alone and that you don't have a community, come to the theater. Because yeah. guess what? We've always been a bag of misfits, and there's always a place for you here. That is absolutely Aww. right. Well said. 
Um, thank you both so much for doing this with me. What an absolute joy. I am really excited about this production coming up and um, just couldn't be happier that more people get to experience it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks. Enjoy Maui. I'm a little <laughs> jealous. <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're in rainy Manhattan about to go to rainy yeah. Dublin. Yeah, yeah, rainy Manhattan about to be in Dublin. That's, that's okay. You got a lot of the good theater to keep you company. Uh, that's true. Um, sending you all love and uh, thank, thank you. you again. Classic Stage Company's production of A Man of No Importance, written by the great Terrence McNally, Stephen Flaherty, and Lynn Ahrens, and directed by legendary director John Doyle, is currently in performances and runs until December 4th. You got to go see it, everybody. Like we talked about, Jim Parsons, uh, Mayor Winningham, also just some really amazing theater actors that you probably have seen or may know, like Alma Cuervo, Mary Beth Peel. I mean, just really great people in the entire company. Uh, Classic Stage Company is in New York City, and you can find tickets at classicstage.org. We'll, of course, have all of this information in the notes below. As always, if you have recommendations you'd like us to cover on a musical theater podcast, you can always email me at amusicalpodcast at gmail.com. Please share us with your friends and family. We want more people in this great community, this podcast community that I'm so grateful for. But you can also follow us on social media, on Instagram and Twitter, at A Musical Podcast. We're also on TikTok. We have Patreon exclamation point, where for only $1 a month, you get bonus episodes as a thank you for supporting the show. We also have Public with great designs you can put on many different products, the profits of which go to benefit Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. Oh my goodness, what else? More than anything, just know, hey, I love you, and you have a place here. Once again, a big shout-out to the wonderful Ralph Johnson. Hope you enjoyed this episode, my friend. And to all of you, thank you for listening. Lynn and Steven, you're the best. And everybody out there, keep making art. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.